I just wanted to welcome you to my podcast. You are listening to Life with Maka, where I talk about chronic illness, mental illness, faith, and everything in between. Everything and anything. So welcome if you're listening. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Rach today. How are you, Rach? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I would love for you, and I know I say this every single episode, and I cringe every time I say I would love for you to introduce yourself because, like I said, I do it every (laughs) single episode, but I would genuinely love for you to introduce yourself and tell us what chronic illnesses you have, who you are, and one or two facts about yourself. Yep, of course. Um, So, as you said, my name's Rach. Hi, everyone. Um, I have Lyme and co-infections and also have MCAS, POTS and interstitial cystitis. Um, A couple of things about me is that I also have a spoony dog. Um, He has epilepsy um, and he's seven years old and... Something that not many people know about me from the chronic illness community is that um, I worked for World Vision for many years in, like, advocacy. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. So today we were just discussing that we might mainly talk about Lyme disease. So could you share, and this is going to be, like, a lot of information, so feel free to, like, get me to repeat any of it but could you just share what is Lyme how does it affect people including yourself your personal experience with it and your diagnosis story yeah so yeah there's a lot to unpack there um so Lyme disease was actually named um after a place in Connecticut um and it's a bacterial infection um Um, But there's a lot of other infections that usually come along with Lyme. If one diagnosis, um, there's usually at least one infection along with that, whether that be rickettsia or uh, babesia. There's a whole host of infections that can be carried. So this is often what we know is via ticks, um, but it's not only ticks that carry the disease. but that's what we mainly associate Lyme with. Um, So, yeah, for me, it took a long time to get to diagnosis, like many others. Um, While I live in Australia, I was actually overseas um, when I fell ill and I didn't know what was happening. I had never even heard of Lyme disease or really many tick-borne infections before. I guess ignorance is bliss. Um, And so, yeah, I hadn't actually heard of Lyme before, so there was no way I was going to even think of that when I started to feel sick on the east coast of the US. Um, And so, yeah, then it took me time to get back to Australia and try to figure out what was going on, and it ended up being about a two-year journey to come to my diagnosis. Wow. I think as you were saying that too, I was thinking of um, some people that I follow on Instagram that live in the US and you mentioned that um, in Australia and not many people might not know this, but um, Lyme is like 
is it would you say it's rare here like can you is there actually any lime carrying ticks in australia so there has been some study done that has found that there is um look like the evidence is there that lime is yeah it's it's not it's not something that's hard to conceive when it's really like all around the world that it's also going to be in australia um there is obviously other tick-borne illnesses here um but people actually test positive for lyme that have not left the country so they've never even left australia before we're an island you know and um they test positive in our australian labs for the lyme bacteria so I mean, that means, yes, there is Lyme here, so. Yeah, yeah. But I was just thinking too, though, like in America, it's so much more common that somebody that I follow on Instagram, her daughter, they found a tick on her daughter and the first thing that they did was send it in for testing to make sure that it wasn't a carrier of Lyme. But then here in Australia, I mean, I've had plenty of ticks on me when I've gone bushwalking or something and... I, you know, like it's not something that we then turn around and go, oh, maybe that would be that. And I guess, like, did you find a tick on yourself when um, you were no. over there? So originally I didn't find a tick on myself. Um, so, I mean, ticks, like um, nymph ticks can be smaller than a poppy seed. So that wow. can be very difficult to find on yourself. Um, and they can be that small and still carry all that bacteria, all those different infections. Um, so that's why it's so, I think, um, scary to a lot of people um, that you can, if you've ever been outside, you're at risk of Lyme disease. You're at risk of getting a tick bite, you know, because you're not going to pick up on it every time. I think the situation in Australia, like, it, yeah, it does need to change. If we find ticks on ourselves, we actually do need to take action um especially around where you and I live like ticks are very common here and mm. people don't really make a big deal of it um but Lyme literate doctors really do suggest like yes we should also send our ticks away if we're bitten we should get on an antibiotic dose straight away regardless you know just hit it just in case um but yeah, it's not. It, it, that's hard to do because not many doctors will do that, even if you show your concern for it. Yeah, and well, you just mentioned too that a treatment when you can jump straight onto it is antibiotics. So, what are the symptoms and treatments for Lyme? Really, it's um, it, it's so difficult because. What the CDC says is like, all right, you'll need a month-long dose of doxycycline and then your Lyme will be cured. But there's absolutely no research to suggest that after a month of antibiotics, all of a sudden it will disappear. It's not, the research actually isn't there to show that. And, um, but you're still better off still trying to get on the antibiotics as soon as you can. Um, What would be even better would be getting, um, some IV antibiotics um, and obviously like looking out for those si- like signs and symptoms that you might have. Looking out for a rash, it doesn't have to be a bullseye rash, it could be any sort of rash. Doesn't Just because you're bitten doesn't mean you will get a rash as well, but you can think of things like 
flu-like symptoms, like if you have a fever come on, if your glands come up, those typical flu-like symptoms and you've recently had a tick bite, that's screaming at you to do something. You need to do something so it doesn't turn into late-stage Lyme, okay, which it could, which is what nobody really wants to get to. So... um Oh, I had a question in my head two seconds ago. Honestly, brain fog is so bad. And I right. <laughs> to all the people that listen to this podcast and every single episode. They understand. A brain fog <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've lost it completely. Um, I might be able to come back to it at some point. But yeah, no, no worries. So, yeah, it's like I mean, what... for me, like I got a lot of other diagnoses before I got the Lyme diagnosis, right? Like they found that I had these autoimmune conditions come up, right? So I was diagnosed like a hyperthyroid problem. And then they found out I had celiac disease. And then like I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue and it kind of went through these other diagnoses to be like, okay, well, what's actually like caused all this to come on? Um, and then it was actually like my local doctor in my small town um, happened to be a Lyme literate doctor. So I was just really lucky. Otherwise, I could see that it would have been many more years um, that I, I would have had to wait for a diagnosis. And he sent the labs away straight away, te- um, testing for all, like a whole panel of your range of tick-borne diseases and co-infections that come along with them. And it came back with about four or five that had come back positive and that's in the Australian lab okay that's not sending overseas or anything like that that's here and um and yeah that's when I got the diagnosis like about two years in and before that I had never even heard of Lyme disease so there you go (laughs) well you actually just answered the question that I brain fogged on because as you started talking I was like oh that's what I was going to say I was going to say, I've heard that it's commonly misdiagnosed as other chronic illnesses. Yeah, exactly. Like whether it's lupus or multiple sclerosis or uh, like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. It's because it's a multisystemic disease, you know, like it can. mirrors all of them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That is exactly what I was going to ask and say. Because, yeah, I've heard of quite a few people like you know, having to jump through quite a few hoops to get the diagnosis of Lyme and like a lot of their first diagnosis or diagnoses, whatever the correct plural <laughs> is, um, were like chronic fatigue, fibro, um, like MS and all of those. Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and I mean like you kind of, stage you are at in your Lyme disease you'll mirror different different other conditions right so Mm. like you when it first comes on it's more like your flu-like symptoms like typical like bad flu-like symptoms not like cold like bad flu symptoms um and then you develop more of your like your joint pain your muscle pain the severe fatigue the bad headaches and migraines all that sort starts to develop and um in very late stage Lyme disease you see more of neurological issues so um for me I started having seizures about three years ago um and 
a lot of um, late stage Lyme sufferers do get seizures from the the fact that it's past the the blood brain barrier so it can cause any number of neurological symptoms you know whether that's tremors or seizures or um, depressive episodes like you know any of your mental illnesses um, can come on due to that as well let alone what you're going through that obviously is going to affect your mental health anyway physically the changes in the brain as well can be affecting your mental health yeah, and I think, yeah, like you said too, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like I have heard that it can vary so much. Like mm. like the symptoms, like what you experience one time, like for a flare will then change the next time and it just kind of leaves you feeling in limbo of what like, yeah. symptoms going to pop up next. Yeah, and I think like some Lyme sufferers might like – struggle more with um you know stomach issues gut issues um others it might be more neurological most people will have a good long list of symptoms but it's kind of um a lot pain and fatigue along with that like everyone's different in terms of where it ends up affecting them the most whether that's the joints or um, I also have bladder issues that's caused by my Lyme the inflammation in my bladder you know, or people can actually develop heart issues as well. Um, so it, it does it does make it really, really difficult to diagnose. Yeah. I think it's like with a lot of chronic illnesses, everybody's symptoms vary and like nobody's mm-hmm. going to have the exact same symptoms. Like myself with myalgia cancer for myelitis um, or chronic fatigue syndrome, but we prefer the technical term that's taken me forever to learn how to say. Um, <laughs> But, like, yeah, like, I have – my symptoms differ from other people with ME and, um, like, I don't get a lot of joint pain. I get a lot of muscle pain but not so much joint. But I know quite a lot of people that get more joint and muscle pain than even, like, fatigue. Like, the pain might be their worst symptom or, like, the brain fog. Yeah. Like, my worst symptom is probably fatigue. Um, and I get regular sore throats, like, so yeah, I guess like a lot of chronic illnesses, the symptoms vary a lot. Yeah, exactly. And you never know what you're going to get on any given day, which is a big part of the struggle is that you don't know how you're going to wake up. You don't know if you're going to have really bad insomnia Mm -hmm. that night or whatever it might be you don't know what the day has in store for you no exactly and I mean a lot of us go to bed exhausted and wake up feeling even more exhausted and or like you might feel good one day and then the next day you feel like absolute crap and you're like oh when did that happen yeah and I think a lot of us also feel like if we are having a better day that we have to do everything in that day like we have mm-hmm. to clean the house and go see this person and whatever and then we end up making ourselves more exhausted because we want to use every little ounce of energy that we're given because we you know can't take it for granted but we're kind yeah. of mean to ourselves sometimes too <laughs> I know I I am that person I think I've discovered a lot of us that have chronic illness are type A people. 
Yeah. Like, are you a Taipei person? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, I get things done kind of person and doesn't like being restricted to or being limited to what um, you can and cannot do. And you, I mean, you like there's an element, obviously everyone needs organisation in their life, but, you know, there's that extra, those extra things, like making sure you've got all your, like, medications, like, you know, you're not running out of your medications and you've got all your appointments lined up and everything like mm. that. Like you kind of have to be a bit type A about things. Like, But then look if after you're yourself. too type A, then... Like it comes like obviously yeah like you can't avoid appointments and having your medication stopped and stuff but like I find yeah like I make an appointment in advance because you know you can't get into the doctor the day that you call up but then the day that it comes I'm like actually I'm really exhausted and I don't think I have the energy to go here. Yeah, I think that's like a um you know kind of like an inside joke of the chronic illness community you know like we like being too sick to go to the doctor like. You know, like, you like yeah, oh, what? that doesn't make sense, but it like, does. You go to the doctor because, yeah, yeah, you go to the doctor because you are sick and then we struggle to go to the doctor because we are sick. Yeah, the irony. <laughs> it is very ironic. Um, we might move on to counselling because you mentioned that you have a counselling, well, I think you mentioned you have a counselling degree in your two facts about yourself. Um, um so yeah, I basically I did a um I did a bachelor majoring in psychology and then I kind of did a master's degree in something else. I went away from that because I was kind of working in the um not for profit industry. And then I went back and <laughs> indecisive, aren't I? Um and then I went back and did a like diploma in counseling. And so counseling qualification and I recently finished up my business and I'm looking forward to kind of using that and I really hope you know being like a chronically ill counselor like I really think mm. that that's something that there needs to be more of us like um, out there for people to go to so I'm like yeah I'm really looking forward to kind of getting back into that and because we you know we're discussing like mental health and your physical health are so intertwined (laughs) yes and I think I would love for you to like shed some light on that as well like what is your like view on it and how um physical health impacts our mental health yeah like I think there's so many of them being like um like physical in nature right like just not being able to do the things that we once could like how that affects you is just phenomenal like you just like all the hobbies that you once did that kind of kept you sane um and you really enjoyed might be taken away from you stripped back you you kind of lose part of your identity and Mm. that can be really hard to try and like regain that um and find things that we can do if we like if we can't do things that we used to enjoy so that's really part of it and then there's that kind of social element that it impacts us right because of course if you're unable to work due to your illness um that would be a a source of you know a social outing still is work like you interact Mm. with people 
you get po- you get negative feedback sometimes, but you get positive feedback. You get feedback, right? You're not stuck at home kind of with your thoughts um, in your mm. own head. I think it's really like we're social beings. <laughs> we're, we're kind of we Maybe. thrive off being around other people. And yeah. um, I don't think you quite realise how much – that is a thing until it's somewhat taken away from you and mm-hmm. if you're bed bound or you're house bound and you don't have those regular activities whether it's school or work or um, your sport that you used to play or whatever it might be um, those things actually like give you a sense of self that you can feel like you don't know who you are anymore and it can really strip back everything and make you like a little bit too introspective I think you know um because you're not getting that outside feedback from people all the time and yeah. um we, like I know it's like kind of crazy but we actually we really do need that regular interaction with people Hopefully most of it positive. Obviously some of it sometimes will be negative, but we need that. We need to be around people. And um, obviously a lot of us struggle um, with chronic illness, like losing friendships too and things like that. Like there's a lot of loss involved that you have to grieve. Um, Mm. Your loss of health, you're grieving. So I think one of the really interesting things that you learn early on when studying mental health is like, Grief is not just like death, okay? Grief is mm. like loss. That's what it is. It's loss. Whether it's like you lose your job or you split up with your partner or whatever, it's grief is loss. So if you lose a big part of your health, that you grieve that. If you lose friends due to your illness, you'll grieve that. You know, if you have to cut back on your job or you have to quit your job due to your health, you'll grieve that. There's like so much grief involved that isn't necessarily always recognised from the outside looking in to someone with chronic illness, like the amount of grief that you go through. And I think it's important to, especially when you have a chronic illness, to recognise that grief, like it doesn't just surface once and then yeah um go back down and then never come up again like for me personally um a big part of grief that resurfaced a lot over many many years and still does resurface for me was um oftentimes watching my friends go out and live their lives Mm -hmm. and so every time I would watch them get together and go for a walk together that was grief for me because I couldn't I was at the point in my life where I couldn't go for walks and I couldn't do those things because I was I had to spend my energy on doing uni and making sure that that was a priority um yeah and so that grief resurfaced sometimes multiple times a week and there was anger and there was frustration and there was so much like there were there it wasn't even like just grief like I think whenever I think of the word grief I think of sadness but like it wasn't just sadness there was anger and bitterness and frustration and um yeah like I shed so many tears over the fact that I couldn't go for a walk um yeah it's so heartbreaking to be living that and like you said too like we're made for connection and we're made 
to yeah connect with other people um and I didn't have that for a very long time because I think a lot of it was to do with me shutting myself away as well yeah um because you know coming to terms with a new chronic illness is hard and takes time um but yeah like it definitely impacted my mental health and I became really poorly like um with quite severe depression and anxiety and I think um yeah like there's this loneliness to it and then like Mm. feeling that like you know a lot of people in your life like well they don't understand and I think that's why so many of us have gravitated to the chronic illness community online um other people that um have chronic illness maybe even in your town or whatever meeting up because there is there's this real sense of like no one gets it you know, and that that's incredibly lonely and in isolating and depressing. And I really like, yeah, I really resonate what you said about like the anger because a lot of the time they say that like anger often comes out as sadness because mm. we feel like sadness is a more hmm, acceptable socially emotion. acceptable emotion <laughs> to express, right? Um, so often we it comes out as sadness but we realize if we delve into that that it's actually anger and we're actually Mm. really like angry at our situation like we're angry at the pain and um and we need to find a place for that anger because anger itself is not inherently a bad emotion to have like to feel angry about things that are like there's nothing wrong with that Um, We need to, like, space for it and allow ourselves to feel it and hopefully in doing so are able to, like, process it and move on from it. But, like, yeah, I've had to learn over the years definitely that anger is not an emotion to feel ashamed of and it's it's normal. (laughs) It's normal given a lot of the times what we go through as humans and, um yeah, I totally get why you'd feel angry and, like, anyone with a chronic illness, I did like, you know, if you feel angry from time to time or a lot, like, yeah, like, I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think a big part of chronic illness is actually coming, like, the acceptance part of the grief or yeah. even just accepting that you – so um, – I've spoken about this in another episode, but something that my therapist thought would benefit me was acceptance and commitment therapy. And the fact that like, she just wanted me to recognize the anger. She wanted me to be like, or the frustration. She, yeah, she wanted me to be like, okay, I'm feeling angry and frustrated at this situation. And that's okay because it is a situation that anybody would be feeling angry and frustrated at. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah, I guess my main message is that it's okay to have those feelings and for them to resurface over and over again too. Like I think, like I said, people just feel like it's like, like once it's been there, it's done and it's gone and you've dealt with it and it's, it's, it's not coming back, but it's like anything, like you said, like a lot of people associate grief with death. Like that's the main association, but you know, when you lose somebody that you love, you're going to be constantly grieving them. And 
I've talked to people that have their grief resurface after like 20 or 30 years, all of a sudden it just hits them. And, you know, yeah. like I, I think we, we should treat chronic illness like that. We should treat our, yeah, like mental health like that. Like it's okay to have things resurface and experience mm. them all over again. And we're going to experience them in a different way than we did the time before, because now my frustration is different like my grief and the frustration that I feel now about my chronic illness is different to the grief and frustration that I felt. Yeah. It's almost like it kind of evolves over time. And then like, hopefully you have like the toolkit to kind of allow yourself to um, deal with it better. Like it's like, yeah, resurfacing that happens all the time. And it's just a matter of being like, okay, I need to give myself the grace to, let myself feel this way and what Mm. might I be able to do that could make me feel a little better if I feel up to it would like going and doing some painting or something bring me some peace in this moment because I need to recognize that like I'm grieving again or that hurt you know and um, having people in our life as well that we can express that to because I think you know, it's so, it can be so cathartic just sitting down with a friend or a family member and just being like, look, I'm really struggling with the reality of my illness this week. Um, these are the feelings that I'm having and kind of just, as you said, like with your therapist, like acknowledging it mm. and just being like, yeah, like having someone sit with you through it until you're yeah. feeling a bit better, like everyone needs that and I hope that yeah I hope that everyone has someone in their life or can find someone in their life that will sit with them in those moments because well yeah we're all going to have those moments where it's like breaking us a bit and I mean those moments like I said too like you think about grief in the terms of like someone losing somebody that you love or um you know like each time you grieve it's going to feel different too um and yeah. so, like, it's okay if those feelings feel different to the time before. They're not wrong. They're not um, bad. They're just what you're feeling in that moment based on other things. Like, we are such complex humans. And the more that I think about it, the more it blows my mind of how every little thing accumulates to be who we are and how we respond yeah. to things. And there's just so much in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And I think, like, yeah, like, therapy obviously is a big part of getting to uh, kind of learn about yourself and, like, learn about those things, you know, like the ways that that you deal with things or um, just getting a better understanding of yourself so that you can, like, love yourself better. Um, Because it can be hard to love yourself with chronic illness um it's there's a part of us I think that feels like a down Mm. and um so it can be hard to I think at times love ourselves the way that we should like um we're no less you know lovable than anybody else um and we should we should feel that but it, yeah, it can be really hard feeling let down by your own body. And I actually had an interesting conversation with the day because I was telling her like I was feeling like 
really insecure um, and everything like that. And about like my physical appearance, like I'd been really like, you know, just picking on myself, like every little detail I was really like obsessing over. I was like, just not happy with it. And she kind of said to me, she's like, like, yeah, I think that's because you're feeling let down by what's happening on the inside and you can't kind of control, you know, what's happening Mm. physically like on the inside of your body and feeling let down by your body that you're like picking apart what you can see and I kind of hadn't really thought of it quite that way before like I was thinking you know I was just having body image issues just like you know but it was more than that it was that I felt like I feel let down by my body so it's easy to have a go at what I can see and pick it apart and so you know it comes back again to that like self-image like how having a chronic illness can really affect it just plays into every aspect of your mental health and well-being like Mm. and some things affect some people more than others um but what it I feel like it comes down to all the time is just having a really good support system um with you and that makes the world of difference um because no matter what you're dealing with we need people around us to help whether that's like your your doctor or your psychologist or your friends or your family like we all need a support system yeah I agree and I think even if that support system for me I know that support system even started with my therapist because she was the first one to um make an effort to understand what I was going through um and then has given me tools to navigate a support system outside of that yeah and I would like whoever's listening I would encourage you if you're like you're not seeing a therapist at the moment to consider going to one again because even me having a counseling degree there was many years of being sick that I did not see a therapist and um I really do recommend it. It's just like what we go through all the time. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's it's worth it if you can see one. It's really worthwhile. I agree. And, I mean, I've benefited so much from seeing one and just, yeah, gaining some tools and, um, yeah, like kind of like, yeah, making a toolbox of how to. It's really good. You've found someone that you like feel comfortable with you know because that can be hard to to find too so yeah you've got to find someone who you match up well with and that you can actually talk to about everything and open up to Um, and it's trial and error like I remember when I was first searching for a like counsellor and a few people that I spoke to who had been seeing counsellors for years and years said to me they were like don't expect to find one off the bat they were like some people do like yeah if you feel it's a good fit from the get-go then it's a good fit but if you're feeling like you need to move on you know counselors are there to for you to say to them hey this isn't working for me um I'm I need to find somebody else um that can support me in a different way um and that's totally okay to say to them exactly and like I mean like I think most would you know would be very like respectable about it like they would you know be like oh of course like you have to find someone that suits you and um that there 
Sorry if you were listening. Rach and I just cut out um, internet-wise for a few Sorry, seconds. Everyone. So <laughs> we were just talking about uh, finding a good fit for a therapist or a counsellor. So what were you saying on that, Rach? Yeah, just that there there will be one out there. Like you might have to look around, but you will be able to find someone. Um, it just might take a little bit of time to find the right match. Yeah, and I mean, I totally agree. And I think... It's good advice to, um, you know, shop around. Like that's what they're there for, and um, yeah, like you're not, you like you're doing yourself more of a disservice hanging around with a therapist that isn't benefiting you than you are doing that therapist a disservice. Like they have other clients that they can see, you don't have another therapist that you can see. All right, so. I would love for whoever's listening to join your community and I've actually really enjoyed this episode. I think, I mean, you and I have caught up twice in person because thankfully we live pretty close to each other. I mean, it's not super, super close, but it's on my way to the coast. So might as well pop in and see you every now and again. Um, But yeah, I really enjoyed catching up with you. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's been really good. Uh, could you also plug your Instagram account for anybody that would like to join um, yeah. you on your journey? Yeah, so you, um, it's just at RachBWell um, and I'm the same over on TikTok too if you want to join over there as well. Perfect. Um, and what can we expect to find on your Instagram? Um, so just speaking about my own journey, I write a lot of reflective pieces um about my experience living with chronic illness for the last eight years now and just like different elements of whether it's um yeah grief as we talked about or losing friendships and just um generally feelings that come up living with chronic illness so other people feel a bit less alone in what they're going through I love it. And I am so grateful to have connected with you. I don't know how long we've been connecting for. Definitely like two or three years, I think. Yeah, so. a while now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. really good to see you in person too. Like I haven't got to meet like many people in person. And so kind of the two hours seems semi-close in Australia, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And if you're listening and you do have somebody that you have met online um through chronic illness pages that lives nearby like organize a catch-up if you can because it is the best thing obviously be safe I mean I took a friend the first time I met you and then I just took my boyfriend recently but not that I would you know not have met you without them but it just like worked out (laughs) conveniently that I had people with me um but yeah like that's always an option and always just a great time to meet together and yeah just get to know each other a bit more Yeah, definitely recommend. All right. Well, yeah, thank you so much for joining me and I will chat with you soon. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Life with Maka. I really appreciate being able to connect with people this way. So thank you for tuning in and I hope that you'll tune in with the next episode.